Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 8 of The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, lead pastor at Foothills Christian Church in Boise, Idaho, for over 23 years. I'm Jesse Mary, your host for today. Our goal in doing these podcasts is to give each person engaging with Foothills an opportunity to dig deeper into the scriptures and to hear how these scriptures apply to the issues that we're facing today in our world. So without further ado, let's welcome Pastor Doug to the podcast and get started. Well, thank you, Jesse. And I just want to let everyone know on Sunday, this coming Sunday, we're going to be preaching on Genesis chapter 39. It's the story of Joseph, and it's how he began to uh, gain favor in Egypt, even though things get progressively worse and worse and worse for him. Right. And that's part of our new normal series that we just started last week. So you can go back and catch up if you need to on um, what we've covered so far. But Yeah, and for Joseph, the new normal was worse, worse, worse. Worse, worse, worse. <laughs> I think a lot of people are thinking that about where we're at today, which is why we're probably focusing on it, right? Yes, yes. And that, I mean, I think that's what, you know, the, the first... Uh, podcast that we do we drop on tuesday every tuesday and it's the bible study portion a little bit and the biblical principles and then on thursday we drop this one it has to do with how does what we're studying applied to current events and trends right now right so the story of joseph is about a lot of change in the life of this uh one of those original families back in the day um the changes in this family had huge ramifications for the entire nation of israel over time It seems that right now America and the church in America is facing rapid changes. These changes will certainly have long-term effects. Let's talk about what is happening, what we should make of it. Pastor, what big changes or shifts do you see happening right now? Well, I think we are facing a monumental shift, uh, particularly in Christianity in the world today, not just America. And I think this is really important to understand is that in China today, people who are following Christ is exploding exponentially. There are more committed Christians living in China today than there are in America. I mean, it's a massive shift. The other thing that's happening is Africa. In 1960 or 1970, about 10% of the population in Africa was Christian. Today, it's over 50%. Wow. It's really growing. It's exploding in Africa. It's exploding in South America. It's really interesting, is that the uh, evangelical aspect of Protestant Christianity is exploding in South America. The only place that it's really not growing is in America. And I think that you see this in the, the demographics, and that is uh, Pew Research does a lot of uh, survey data and uh, is my son and daughter, who are both economists and mathematicians, they say that survey data is your least reliable data. But it can point out trends. And what's happening is that in America today, you have about 87 to 90% of the people say they believe in God. But Pew Research reported in, in 2018 and 2019 that only 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians now. So it's mm. down. Right. So just in the last 10 years, it's gone from 80% of the population 
down to 65%. What's really happened is about 43% of the American population will identify as Protestant. So you take out Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, other forms of, of Christianity, just Protestant Christianity, about 43%. So now we're down below the half of the adult population, okay? Now a reason for that is that there's a large and growing minority of Hispanics or Latinos, mm -hmm. and many of them identify religiously as Roman Catholic. Right. So you take th them out, and so it really drops down there. And then when you look at how many people are actually practicing their faith, it's really interesting. But when people who, and that means that they pray at least once a week, they're active in their church, uh, it's pretty low bar. But that, that drops down to about 25% of the adult population. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty low. And here's what's really interesting is the Barna Group just came out with a big survey to say, hey, what's going on during this pandemic? Because we've been in this for over four months now. Right. And what they said is over 30% of people who were active in their church have just quit. They just not even attending, watching online services or anything like that. They just nothing over it. Yeah, they're done. Hmm. You know, and what's sad about that is when you do that subconsciously, you're basically done with your faith as well. Because what this what this says is that there are two chunks of people in America. Is there a chunk of people who are Christians in name only? And that is, is that they they've intellect. If I believe these certain facts, that makes me a Christian. Right. But uh, Craig Rochelle actually wrote a book addressing these people. He's the pastor of Life Church, and he called it the Christian atheist. And he said that these people believe that they're Christians because they believe in God and Jesus and celebrate Christmas. Right. And he says, but in their daily life, they actually live like atheists. And so he addresses this issue. And he says, actually, to live that way is going to make you more miserable than anything else. Right. And then you have people who have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's authentic. And that's why one of the, the first thing in our strategy of our mission to see people become uh, fully devoted followers of Christ is that you connect with Jesus personally. That's critical, that you meet him personally. And so uh, that group of people is shrinking in America, and it's getting smaller and smaller. And so much of what you see right now, the inability to solve our race relation problems, uh, the divisiveness of our politics and how cancel culture, all of those things, you see uh, people rioting in major cities. Uh, all of these things are a result of the fact that that group of people is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. There is a direct correlation between those two things. So, so those are the big trends you're seeing. What is, uh, what are you seeing as the primary reason for this? Like there has to be some reason these things are happening. Um, some people I've heard say, you know, it's the church's fault for not being relevant enough or cool enough, or hip enough, attractive enough, um, all these adjectives. What are your thoughts on this? Well, um, you know, here's where I'm going to get really super salty. My wife, uh, That's what she's, they tune in for, Pastor. I know, my, my wife, she's on the, you know, have you uh, know anything about the Enneagram? They put you in various different personalities, stuff like that. My mom, I've never really studied it at all, but my wife says to me over and over, you're an eight, no question about it. So if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram, you're going to hear some of my eight. I'm not sure what that means, <laughs> but here it comes. And that is, is that, uh, 
what I have witnessed over the last uh, 40 years in the church is two basic things. And that is uh, you have one church that says our goal is to remain faithful to the scriptures no matter what. And so they adopt what I would call a traditional kind of model of ministry. And over the last uh, 40, 45 years, these churches tend to be a little bit more even keeled. They're a little bit more kind of level. But what really they are is there's not a lot of uh, conversion growth in these churches. Uh, It's mostly transfer growth. And these types of churches grow in communities that are growing. If they're in a community that's shrinking, they're shrinking. And the reason why is because they're kind of a refuge against the culture. And, you know, the culture back in the 60s and what we're suffering today is what was seeded in our culture in the 60s. A lot of people are not aware of that. But what happened is they were like, wow, it's going nuts out there. And so we're going to just culturally stay traditional. But the, the issue with them is that they feel that the reason the church today is not relevant in reaching people is because people have compromised too much. Then you have uh, starting probably in the 70s a little bit, but it really started happening in the 90s when these churches started to grow and music became a really big deal in churches. Uh, And so what you saw is this other strain of Christianity across the board, which is what I call celebrity Christianity. You know, they're super hip, they're super cool, they're super young. that, you know, there's Instagram accounts devoted just to the price of the tennis shoes that all of these leaders in these churches wear. $1,000, $3,000 tennis shoes. They focus on their tats. Their tats are, and I'm not against tats. I'm not trying to say tats are evil, but what I'm saying is when you're, the tattoos that you have and the quaff of your hair and the price of your tennis shoes is the most important thing about your faith, then I think you're what I would consider a celebrity Christian-oriented person. And here's their position, and that is, well, the reason why the church has become irrelevant and the reason why that group that I talked about earlier is shrinking and shrinking is not because uh, of doctrine. It's because you guys aren't cool enough. You're not hip enough, and you don't care about all these people and where they're going. And here's what I find about these two dramatically different lanes or strains of Christianity, which is the predominant of what you see today is that when you actually strip it all down and you look at the underlying premise, they're both exactly the same. And what it is, is the underlying premise of culture. And that is, they're based on the, that culture is what is going to propagate the gospel. One is remaining traditional and they're saying, look, you've, you've compromised too much. That's why we've become irrelevant. Whereas the other side has become too relevant, right? And so now they are compromising the truths of the gospel. So what you're hearing is mostly positive groupthink, you know? And the the reason Jesus came was to save you from your problems, not save you from your sin, which is your problem. Right. And so so these two groups, I think, um, are trying to solve the problem, but they're not addressing the real issue. And the real issue is something different. And the reason why this group of people is shrinking is not because the church isn't doing its job well, because it has nothing to do with how relevant culturally it is, what, how good its music is, 
or how traditionally conservative it, it is. That's not the real issue. The real issue why Christianity is shrinking in America is due to something from outside. And what is that? Well, now you're really going to get me salty. <laughs> well, he's getting fired up. Here, here is the main reason why the church is losing its influence in American culture today, and that is because of the Frankfurt School of Thought. Now, a lot of people are not aware of what this is. You're not taught this in school. As a matter of fact, you're taught the Frankfurt School of Thought, right? That's what you're taught. And this is predominantly into the curriculum of all public schools. And a lot of people are not aware of this. And here is what the Frankfurt School of Thought is all about. It was a school of social theory and critical philosophy. And it started at the uh, Geth University in Frankfurt. And it started right after World War I. So they saw World War I happen and they were like, okay, this is bad. And so we're going to get all of these intellectuals, academics, and political dissidents. And they said, look, classic Marxism is ill-fitted. It doesn't work in this environment. So we need to update it. His theories we think are good, but the way he worked it out doesn't work. That was last century. That, we're in the 19, 20th century now, the 1900s. But in the 1800s, he was sort of right. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to take his philosophy of social theory. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to roll in some new stuff. And they used Freud. They used uh, Hegelian ethics. And they used idealistic philosophy. And they rolled all these things together. The big per pertinent works for critical theory were Immanuel Kant, uh, uh, Wilhelm Frederick Hegel. Hegel is a big postmodern uh, philosopher. Karl Marx, Max Weber, uh, George Simmel, another guy named uh, George or Jorge Lukacs. And so what it was is, is these philosophies, particularly Hegel's philosophy, uh, he really talked about, emphasized dialectic and contradiction as in intellectual properties said, this is how we're going to embrace the material world. I hope you guys are following me here. I don't want to go too far off the deep end. Let me suffice it to say this is what it is, is critical theory is a way of organizing society. Okay. That's what it is. And it's based on recognizing how social movements are formed. And it is at its core postmodern in its philosophy. Postmodernism believes there's no absolute or objective truth outside of us. All truth is relevant. So you take that fact, all truth is relative, meaning every story, every narrative is relative. It's what we make it. Right. And then you couple that with Marxist ideology of social class structure. Now you have critical theory. Okay. And so this is why this is important to understand because when the Nazis started to take over, they, in 1933, they said, uh, this isn't working because they were construed as communists and Adolf Hitler hated the communists. And so they moved uh, to Geneva and then immediately in 1933, they moved to New York City and they became a part of Columbia University, one of the mm. Ivy Leagues. Since then, their theories on race and social structures and all this kind of stuff 
have made its way to all of the Ivy Leagues. This is the predominant thing taught. It's also the number one philosophical position of all schools of journalism. So once that, all this stuff wove in there, then it went down to all the state universities, okay? And then once it got to the state universities, the federal government, now I'm not trying to be political here, but it started under the Clinton administration, and then under the Obama administration, it really took off. But the uh, Republican administrations in, the, in between times didn't do anything to stop it at all. I don't even think they thought about it, but it went through down into the public educational system, particularly middle schools and high schools, and it's woven into the curriculum. So if your kid goes to public school, whether it be middle school, high school, goes to any type of major university, private or public, then they are going to be hit with critical theory and they're going to be taught to look at the world through the eyes of the Frankfurt School of Thought. And here's what's really important to understand is that the Frankfurt School of Thought is basically views Christianity as evil. It believes that Christianity is the problem. And the reason why they view it this way is because Christianity is the only worldview that stops them from implementing their political theory. And so what critical theory does is it really seeks to put people only in classes and every relationship that you have is a power structured relationship. So it's all about hierarchies, it's all about power structures, and instead of being an individual that can then make your own way, that's irrelevant. Your, your individual character, your individual thinking, your individual work ethic, your individual desire to take on responsibility for your own life, your own decisions, all of those things are totally irrelevant in critical theory. It's all about structures and it's all about power and how that power operates and what's sad about it is what you see happening today is that this theory is the primary thing that has undermined the role of the church in american society today so i mean we got a brief overview of the frankfurt there's obviously you can dig into this a lot deeper if you're interested yeah. in that yeah. but um what are the main principles we should take away from this um, undermining or what are what are the what's relevant to us today? Because a lot of this started way, way, way back in the I guess I shouldn't say way, way back. We still have people <laughs> in the congregation that were alive yes. back then. But um, this started a while back and now we're really kind of seeing the symptoms of that implication. What should we be taking away from this? Well, I think, I think what's really important is that there, there's three or four big, really important principles. And that is this, is that some people think, who are followers of Christ, that the way we're going to solve the issues in America is by gaining political power. The problem with that is if you gain political power, but you still view it through the eyes of the critical race or critical theory or the Frankfurt School of Thought, then all you're doing is you're trying to fight power with power. 
okay? And that's an ever-shifting playing field. It's extremely cultural. And so you're, you're in these cultural wars, cultural battles, blah, 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 blah. So I think what, what you have to do is, is that we have to win the culture back. And very few people want to do that. And because it's like, well, there was a culture war and we lost. And I'm like, okay, I don't really adhere to that. I think that there's something else going on. And if you can see what's happening biblically, then I think it gives you much more hope. And that is, is that our position, for instance, in some of these cultural wars, you know, when I, when it was, when I was young, you know, the big cultural wars at that time were music, you know, it was going on music and sex, you know, sexual freedom, sexual identity, all that stuff that, that was going on when I was young. And so what the, what the two movements that I talked about earlier, you know, that based really a lot of what they were doing culturally, they fell into the trap of saying, well, here's our position against a group of people. Right. I see right then and there, you're, you're adopting. You're already setting yourself up yeah, for failure. Yeah, you're thinking in the Frankfurt School of Thought that, okay, we have power and we're a group. You have power and you're a group. So let's duke it out. Well, okay, the Lord specifically says in the New Testament over and over, if that's your approach, you're going you're gonna to lose, right? And so um, the biggest thing that we want to do is we want to have a different principle, a different ethic. And this is where the church has the greatest power. And this is in Galatians where, where Paul basically says, look, there are things that there's no law against. And that is love. Well, what the, the celebrity churches have done is said, well, we're going to identify love, meaning we're going to accept and tolerate everything and anything, you know. And so, well, that's compromising of the gospel. So I think the best thing to do is you've got to understand the love of Christ and its authenticity of what it means to you as an individual. And then you carry that to other individuals. And how are we going to win the cultural war is we don't pick massive land battles in East Asia. That's right. not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is every time you win a person to Christ, whenever you introduce them personally to Jesus Christ, you are winning the cultural battle because you're inviting the Holy Spirit to come into the heart of that person. When they meet Jesus, they become wedded to Christ. His Holy Spirit is given as a deposit into their soul, and then the Holy Spirit begins to do its work of conviction. It's not my job to create guilt and conviction in the hearts of people. My job is to preach the truth of the gospel and then let the Holy Spirit do its work, and its role is to convict the world of its sin. It's not my job. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so the way we win this cultural battle is by winning one person at a time to Christ. And the second thing is that we can't win them to a culture. We have to win them to Jesus. They need to be tied into him, not into the church right. they're attending or the worship set or the, yep. the traditional or untraditional aspects of it. It needs to be to the truth. To be the truth. And that is the truth of the authentic Christ, you know, and. Um, I'll be really salty here, and that is if you're going to a church that spends more time talking about their tats, their hair, what kind of jeans they wear, and how expensive their tennis shoes are, then you're going to have a really hard time meeting the authentic Jesus. You're going to have a really hard time. If you're going to a church that focuses only on liturgy and rote prayers and certain songs have to be a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, come from a certain ethnic background, you're going to have a really hard time 
meeting Jesus, the authentic Jesus. Now, can you? Absolutely, because Jesus could do it every once, whenever he wants, because it's God. That's his thing. It's not my thing. But what I am saying is that as a church community, are you in the way or are you helping the way? Right. And, and so that, that's what's going on today. And I think that's how, you know, Foothills is really, really unique because it's, it's a totally different church. It's not a church that's bent on, you know, well, we're trying to win you into a traditional American culture that's Christian. We're not into that at all. We, we're kind of a little bit of irreverent around here about that kind of stuff. You know, we mock it a little bit. But we're also not into that whole celebrity church, you know, stuff. We mock that, too. So I guess what we're good at is mocking. We're very good at mocking. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reason why the church is not reaching people for Christ is because it's trying to use um, this Frankfurt School of Thought approach, and that is we want to we put people in groups, and then we want to win groups. And when you actually look at how Christ, how did he call his disciples? He didn't show up one day and say, hey, all of you fishermen, I need a this few is a disciples. Casting, this is a casting call. A casting Please call come disciples. audition for the part of my disciples. <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And um, I think that one of the significant things is that he did is he went and he called each person by name, you know. Dana, who works with all of our small groups and discipleship and things like that, she has a thing. She says, look, disciples are handcrafted. They're not mass-produced. And I think well, the church has tried to mass-produce things, and that just never seems to work. But the end result in, in this is that ultimately you can really, you can get off track really quick if you try to use the Frankfurt School of Thought in winning people to Christ as a church, you know, um, we're fighting our battles like everyone else is trying to, and that's why we're losing is kind of what it boils down to, is we're using the the current culture's way of thought to do something that our faith was never meant to yeah, even participate you, in. We're, it's above all of that. He's overcome. He's bigger and greater than that, and we're trying to diminish it down to these man-made thoughts of how we should be doing stuff. Well, and I think the biggest things that we need to understand is that the church is always countercultural no matter what you know it it is because it's a it's a truth statement more than anything else have have you ever realized is that there is no mandated christian way to dress you know there's no dress code uh, how whereas in islam there is right in buddhism there is in hinduism there is in christianity there isn't uh, there's no specific dietary laws. In Judaism, there is. In Islam, there is. In Hinduism, there is. In Buddhism, there is. In Christianity, there isn't. There's no dietary requirements. There's no specific music that's required. In all other religions, there is. And so you start to realize, is, okay, so it's not a cultural manifestation. It's a truth statement. And truth statements are principled, and they can enter into any culture and transform it from the inside out. That's the power of Christianity, mm. because it is the very truth of God. But it's countercultural, and that is if people are too traditional in American culture, Christianized culture, it's, it runs counterculture to that. If people are involved in all this new celebrity stuff, adopting all this stuff, guess what? It's countercultural to that. It's not, I call that jumping on the bandwagon. 
you know I, I want to bring something up that is just really salty today and I, I'm just going to hit you with it and that is is that Carl uh, uh, Lentz is the pastor of Hillsong's New York City you know okay. it's a really big church very large church uh, my family went there worshipped there we loved it you know he wasn't speaking that day another guy was and afterwards I asked my kids I said what did you guys do oh we loved worshipping the Lord we loved being with the people we loved doing church not impressed with the preaching <laughs> I thought that was funny. But uh, there's this thing out now called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And it's this guy. He, he was a, a NFL linebacker, and his name is Emmanuel Acho. And Acho, uh, he said, the more, he, he started by noting that historically speaking, the most powerful person in America is a religious Christian white man. And so he starts to think of this. They, they have this conversation. You can listen to the conversation. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. But what's really interesting is that Carl Lentz said this. He, he said basically that uh, churches today might be one of the biggest propagators of racist ideology. And what I want to do is I want to say that Carl Lentz, he is an absolutely unequivocally ignorant of history over the last 150 years, especially in America history. And that is the entire abolitionist movement in slavery in America was driven by Christian white churches. That's where it was. They were the ones they ran the Underground Railroad. Our, the movement that our church comes out of, the guy, his claim to fame was he would travel into, south, into the South and he would debate anybody who said that the Bible supported slavery. And he would shred them biblically. And his point was, you don't even know what the Bible says about it. And so he would give a strong biblical refutation of anybody who said that. And because he did that, he undermined the belief system of so many people who couldn't read, who were told that the Bible supports this economic system. He's ignorant of women's suffrage. You know, women's suffrage, where women got the right to vote, got the right to vote. He's ignorant of the fact that it came out of the Christian women's temperance movement. The temperance movement for Christian was started by Christian women because women didn't have any power over their resources. And so if a woman was married to a man and he became a drunk, he could take all of her money and he could squander it away and leave her destitute and abandon her over nothing. And so the temperance movement started by saying, hey, you guys need to clean up. We need to hold men accountable. We don't want men to become alcoholics and drug addicts and all these types of things. And so that all started in Christianity. And out of that, and then out of that came the women's suffrage movement that women should be empowered to, ha you know, be able to vote, own property, and have a say in what's going on. That was all out of that. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and that is the problem with celebrity Christianity, is that it is so busy trying to in be involved with the culture that they end up saying idiotic things that hurt the church. And that gets Pastor Doug salty. And that gets me salty. <laughs> Well, we're at the end of our time for today. We've covered some pretty um, broad topics. We did some philosophy, um, some cultural relevance, um, and irreverence. Um, and Pastor Doug got a little salty. Uh, <laughs> and I'll send you the, the article link for okay. that. And we'll put know? those in the show notes yeah. um, so that those people that want to 
uh, dive a little bit deeper on some of these things we've talked about that can get that information and and do your own research to um, solidify that. So we thank you guys for joining us today. Again, as always, uh, make sure you leave a five-star review if you haven't. We want to get this out to as many people as possible, and you taking that 30 seconds to do it. Um, really helps. Same thing on YouTube. If you subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment. Let us know what you like and don't like, what you want to hear more about or hear less about. Um, We're here to um, craft this into something that blesses all of your lives. So we thank you again for joining us on the Salty Pastor podcast, and we'll see you next week. See you later. God bless you.